This episode is a listener request by at StephAlley66, and the request was more or less posed as a question. Why do all the scary stories have ghosts with hooks? She was referring to the legend of a ghost that haunted a particular spooky place but was also popular with young couples. A lover's lane, so to speak. You know the one. The couple pulls up in their car to this foggy location hoping for some alone time, but they hear something outside the car. Or in some versions, the girl thinks she sees someone watching them. Then they hear an ear-piercing scraping noise along the side of the vehicle. So the boyfriend, being brave, (coughs) stupid, gets out of the car to investigate. A scuffling is heard, perhaps a scream, and our damsel is all alone, and the silence is deafening. Eventually, she gets out of the car to check things out for herself. There, usually above the car, is the body of the boyfriend, swinging from a tree, dripping blood, and sometimes intestines. Zoom in on female, blood-curdling scream, cut to black and seen. She is allowed to survive, so to continue the legend. The legend of the hook. Why does it have to be a guy with a hook? Well, Steph, I'm so glad you asked. Welcome. My name is Elizabeth Bougeret, and I'm that person that, when studying the many facets of history, likes to peek behind the curtain, investigate the hidden passages, drop into the rabbit hole, or dare to walk in the shadows because we all know that's where the good stories can be found. Take a listen then to discover what dark or peculiar pieces of American history can be found this week from my bag of bones. Of course the story has gotten a little bloodier as the years go by, as this urban legend goes back as far as teens were able to date in cars. The earlier version of the story goes, similarly, they go to a dark place to make out, or necking as it was referred to then, the radio plays softly in the background. The music is abruptly interrupted to announce the escape of a violent criminal from the insane asylum. You'll know it's him because he has a hook in place of his right hand. Listeners, beware. The boy tries his best to get back to business, but the girl is now afraid. She just feels something isn't right and she wants to go home. The boy is upset by his evening plans being interrupted, and he guns his engine, speeding away from their cozy spot to take the girl home. It's only when he gets out of the car to open her car door that they see the bloody hook dangling from the door handle. According to David Michelson, as he reported for Snopes, quote, The Hook is a cautionary tale about teenage sexuality. Unspoken in the story is the realization that if the girl hadn't said no, hadn't insisted upon leaving right away, the couple would have been killed. Two close calls are averted that night, the fatal encounter with the killer and, quote-unquote, going all the way. Refusal to do one saved the pair from the other, end quote. The story was traced back to the late 1950s, but when a letter was printed in the Dear Abby column on November 8th of 1960, the legend was here to stay. It reads in part, quote, Dear Abby, if you are interested in teenagers, you will print this story. I don't know whether it's true or not, 
but it doesn't matter because it served its purpose for me. The letter goes on to describe the story of the man with the hook, a similar version to the one we just mentioned, and it closes with the following, quote, I don't think I will ever park to make out as long as I live. I hope this does the same for other kids, end quote. Mission accomplished. Michelson goes on to say, quote, The hook's message is clear. Teens shouldn't have sex. Moreover, it's up to the girl to apply the brakes. Though her boyfriend might be upset at the time, not long after, he'll understand the wisdom of her refusal and thank her for it. Or, at least, so says the legend, end quote. However, as the years go by, the quote-unquote hook man story gets a few makeovers. As, for example, in our opening story, the couple doesn't always get away unscathed. Some stories offer the twist that when the boyfriend gets out to investigate, he comes back to find the girlfriend gutted with a hook. Or another interesting twist, when the boyfriend doesn't return in a timely manner, she gets out of the car and sees the gory remains of her date. She turns to run back to the safety of the car, only to run right into the murderer with the hook placed just so, causing her to run directly into it, impaling herself. As the years went on, I think the story aged with the times. Not so much as a means to deter sex, as that obviously didn't work, but it's just a great horror story and can be grown and manipulated in many different ways. So, this was the history of the story. But it still doesn't answer her question. Why a hook? Hello, hello! Sorry to interrupt our episode, but I wanted to do a shout-out for Bag of Bones supporting company, Lumi Deodorant. Lumi's creator, Shannon Klingman, broke the mold on deodorant models that have been in place and unchanged for the last 100 years. She discovered that aluminum, which is a staple in deodorants, was not only not helping, but could be harmful. She completely broke down the problems of body odor and rebuilt a better solution. She came up with Lumi. Her all-natural option of dealing with body odors from any part of the body stops odors before they happen by neutralizing the odor-causing bacteria that can be found on every human in every crevice. Lumi is made from naturally derived ingredients and is also aluminum-free, baking soda-free, and cruelty-free so you can feel confident using it even on sensitive skin. Plus, it's clinically proven to control odor for 72 hours. So, if you haven't yet, be sure to give Lumi a try by clicking the link in the show notes. Or, if you're already an avid fan, please consider using the Bag of Bones link to feed your Lumi habit as it helps curb the expenses of producing the show. Oh, speaking of which, I need to get back at it. Perhaps the unknown original author of the urban legend Hookman came from a time in our history when grave robbing was a highly profitable business. I can literally see your faces scrunch up in question. What does that have to do with a hook? Well, if someone might have seen this particular person in action, it may very well have given inspiration to the story. In the late 1800s, grave robbing really was a lucrative business. This was the age of when doctors and students were trying to learn more about the anatomy, but they had a shortage of cadavers to learn on. For a century, there had been a fine line of higher education and immorality when it comes to science. When the earliest anatomists began studying the human body, they discovered many things that doctors practicing at that time were incorrect in thinking. Leeches, anyone? 
but they needed more bodies. At some point, the government was willing to let the students purchase the newly deceased bodies of men who had been executed as a way to extend the punishment of their earthly crimes, but the citizens rallied against it. So it was back to finding bodies by illegal means. Grave robbers would sometimes dig up bodies from the potter's field, which is a cemetery of those who could not afford a proper burial or of bodies that haven't been claimed and the government turned a blind eye to these goings-on for some time. But the students and doctors needed fresh bodies, ones that were barely dead, and they were willing to pay handsomely. This one man rose to the challenge and made it his calling card, William Jansen, the Resurrectionist King. He was a known body snatcher with a sort of notoriety that allowed him to be both admired and despised at the same time. He was not afraid of getting caught and was not afraid of the work. The Washington Times would write, quote, Jansen was born to be a grave robber and followed his trade by instinct, end quote. And that he was, quote, most happy in the companionship of corpses, end quote. He loved the attention from the press and would frequently give interviews. There was at least one occasion that he invited the press along to watch him work. In short, he made no secret of his business. He was known to even rob graves in broad daylight, but most times he would do his dirty work once the sun went down. But here's the important part. His tool of the trade? A hook. The story goes that he would use his hook to break open the top of the coffin, grab the body by its neck, and pry it from the hole he created. By the time the authorities were alerted, he was long gone, and there's a good chance he already got paid for his services. While other body snatchers of history may have used other tools, there's just something about the image of a person wielding a hook in the shadows of dusk or in the flickering dim light of a lantern that could give a person goosebumps. What a great idea for a character! J.M. Barry thought so, and in 1904 created the most well-known hook-sporting villain to ever grace the page, the stage, and the screen, Captain Hook, from the play and then novel Peter and Wendy. Barry would describe his villain as, quote, the handsomest man I ever saw with an elegance of diction, even when he was swearing, end quote. Even though Barry made him literate and a fancy dresser, he also created him to be a true villain. He had no qualms about fighting with the Lost Boys, kidnapping Tinkerbell, threatening to kill the Darling children, and taking the local Indians hostage. He wanted his character to be the real deal. In the early versions of the Peter Pan story, Captain James Hook was merely an afterthought, but the character began to take on a life of its own, and Barry fleshed out the suave but heartless Hook that we know and love today. Having inspiration like Captain James Hook and the earliest character of a pirate I could find, Long John Silver, probably just as well known, he was created by Robert Louis Stevenson in 1882's Treasure Island. It's no wonder that the character of the dangerous and deadly villain, even with a handicap, can now strike fear into generations of those looking for the thrill of horror. Thanks to Hollywood and these authors, our hook-wearing villains were mostly pirates with hooks for hands, pegs for legs, and a patch over their missing eye to complete the look. And while this makes for a great visual, uncommonly known is the historical facts that pirates really did actually have quite a few hooks for hands. 
As my research tells me, most accidents that caused the removal of pirates' hands from his arm happened while on the ships, and they were forced to find something they had on hand, pardon the pun, in order to allow the sailor to continue to be a useful crew member. These early amputations were commonly performed by the cook on board, and then the apparatus would be held on to the severed limb by leather straps. Needless to say, not many of these surgical procedures proved successful, but practice makes, um, well, an option for improvement? As the cook-slash-surgeon continued performing these necessary removals, he did discover that the remaining arm, or stump, could be, um, sculpted, narrowed into a cone shape to be able to add a prosthetic. This has been documented as far back as the 1600s. Eventually, they figured out a specific healing procedure for the remaining stump so that they could fit it with all kinds of makeshift hands. This didn't show up until the 1840s when they figured out anesthesia, allowing their patient to rest quietly while they could be more meticulous in their amputation surgeries. The Pirate Empire blog writes on the subject of the lack of doctors on board the ship, quote, Pirates most often recruited from among common sailors. Officers and skilled workers were harder to persuade to abandon everything for the sake of freedom. In the absence of a surgeon, the ship's carpenter, good at using saws, the cook, skilled at butchering animals, or even the barber, practiced with knives, would be pressed into service. If worse came to worse, any brave man with an axe could try. A person badly enough injured to need an amputation was in danger of death anyway. End quote. Early prosthetic hands were made of leather, wood, and metal. And it literally started with random tools they could find on the ship. The metal hook seemed to work the best. It could prove to be too heavy, but for that short period of time, you know, before infection set in, the hook seemed to give the sailor some sense of comfort and use. This was later used and improvised. Doctors would eventually come up with a pinching-style hook that could be manipulated to pick up even small objects. Side note, I did read an article about Samuel H. Decker. He had lost both of his hands due to a rifle mishap during the Civil War, but designed his own prosthesis to enable him to care for himself and even be able to write with a pen. And on that note, during the Civil War, three out of four surgeries were amputations. After the Battle of Fredericksburg, for example, poet Walt Whitman observed at a home-turned-hospital, It is used as a hospital since the battle, and seems to have received only the worst cases. Outdoors, at the foot of a tree, within ten yards of the front of the house, I noticed a heap of amputated feet, legs, arms, hands, etc., about a load for a one-horse cart. Several dead bodies lie near, each covered with its brown woolen blanket. In the dooryard, toward the river, are fresh graves, mostly of officers, their names on pieces of barrel staves or broken boards stuck in the dirt." End quote. As early as 1861, a private, James Hanger of Churchville, Virginia, who lost his leg, was so determined to be able to blend back into society once the war was over, he developed his own prosthetic as well. When the war was over, he began selling the hanger limb to others, and today, Hanger Inc. is still active and one of the leading companies in prosthetics. 
post-Civil War, with so many soldiers returning home with empty sleeves, as it was referred to, created a boon for the prosthetics industry. They may have started with a simple, functional hook, but some advanced to a removable forearm harness that allowed the wearer to replace the appendage with a Swiss army knife style with options of a hairbrush, saws, eating utensils, and others. The Civil War and the advancements discovered marked the end of the hook era. The trajectory from then to today offers those who have lost limbs a myriad of options, including the latest technology to be a modern-day Iron Man. So, I guess the reason the villains from our nightmares have hooks instead of hands ultimately goes to the authors that create these characters and describe them in such a way that they have created a very specific image. Whether a maniacal escapee from the local insane asylum or the pirate who lurks in the foggy shadows, the hook will live on in our horror genres. In fact, I don't think there's anyone out there when told to think of a pirate that can help but give that image either a hook, a peg leg, or a patch over their eye. Or maybe all three. This may have been more than you bargained for when tuning in this week, but thankfully, I have my own podcast where I can fall down the research rabbit holes and offer up the juiciest bits of my discovery. Otherwise, if this question had been asked at a party, 30 minutes later, I'd end up just looking up at a group of blank faces around the snack table, and then Steph would probably say something like, I meant it as a rhetorical question. So, at StephAlley66, there is what I could find in answer to your question, rhetorical or not. Thank you for joining me on yet another listener request episode. We only have three left, and I know you'll want to hear every one of them. So make sure you are subscribed so as not to miss a single episode. And while you're there, if you wouldn't mind, leave a positive rating and review. I'd be most grateful. I'm Elizabeth Bougere. Until next time then. Bag of Bones is created and hosted by Elizabeth Bougere, produced by the Ragtag Network and History Revisited, music by Johnny Reed. To learn more about the show, visit elizabethbougere.com. For more podcasts from the Ragtag Network, visit their website at www.ragtagnetwork.com. Copyrights by Elizabeth Bougere and DCT Enterprises.